is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. You know why I'm drinking this water? Why? It's my revenge. Because this morning, when I was driving, Mm -hmm. my car got drenched in rain. Right. And this is my way to get back. It's your way of getting back. Yes. Because the water will know that you're consuming it. That's exactly right. It's my way of getting back at that because this bomb cyclone that's hitting California, as well as uh, the series of storms that preceded it, they are now raising questions about whether our state is keeping pace with climate change and how it handles storms can't handle it by me just drinking more water. Right? I, I don't <laughs> that's, that's not going to work. It's going to no, affect not gonna work. Yeah. You know, and some experts, but well, they're saying the state might need a new approach that moves away from dams and levees. So we will go in depth. <sighs> Kevin McCarthy, uh, when does somebody get the idea that they're just not <laughs> wanted? Uh, <laughs> he may, he might like this, though. May, well, maybe. Consider but that's he a, might be a junkie for humiliation. Uh, well, then in that case, he's coming out ahead. Nine votes in. Nine. Still no House Speaker. Uh, we're going to take a look into what he needs to give up and <laughs> does he need to give up. The collapse of Bill's player, DeMar Hamlin, is fueling another round of COVID vaccination misinformation. That's a weird one, by the mm. way. We talked uh, yesterday about how the uh, country could avoid a recession, but there seems to be a big slowdown in the tech industry. Amazon laying off more workers than it previously said, and we'll go in depth on that. And Prince Harry has made some strong accusations against his brother Prince William in his Netflix documentary, and now uh, Harry is reportedly making an even bigger accusation in his new memoir. Well, we'll find out about that. Yeah, it's great being brothers, huh? Uh, yep. Yeah, well, the Royals, they're just like us. <laughs> yeah, right. We start uh, with the storm, climate change, and California's water infrastructure. Joshua Veers is a watershed scientist at uh, UC Merced. Um, he's, uh, his expertise, rather, is in resource management and environmental decision-making. He's in Berkeley right now at a conference focusing on... Take a guess what it's focusing on. Um... I would guess it would be some sort of hydrogen dioxide or dihydrogen oxide, <laughs> yeah. uh, some kind of chemical uh, balance. Of that uh, wrong. Water. <laughs> Just water. Uh, but it's an important one. Joshua, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me this afternoon. Yes, we're focused on what we call a secure water future. So we've brought scientists and engineers, um, political scientists, uh, all together to really kind of focus on the Western United States and the impacts of, of climate change and our water resources, both for agriculture and ecosystems. How good or how bad does this state's future look when it comes to water? The glass is always half full, right? Like that's the way we have to look at things. Um, California has always been characterized by extremes and, and it's a big state with a lot of varied uh, physiography, geography, topography, et cetera. And our climate has always been variable, right? We're, we're characterized by cool, wet winters, dry, warm summers. Um, that's part of the reason we like living here is it's, it's generally hospitable. However, now given climate change, we're facing what we like to call climate whiplash. And that's not just, you know, across the years, which are always, you know, either wet or dry. And we've had a long run of dry years, um, but also within years, which is to say we're going to have periods of extreme prolonged 
dry you know these droughts and sometimes we call those summers but also we're gonna have these you know punk it's gonna be punctuated by these really pronounced wet periods and these are things that we've recognized for a couple of decades at this point that the that the atmosphere as it warms can actually hold more water which means that these events can deliver more water and when it comes to our infrastructure then we're now trying to understand how best the existing infrastructure we have can actually withstand some of those extremes so, and to what extent we can re-engineer them so what do we need to change what what specific things uh, do we uh, need to be doing differently as a state? Well, there, there's two things that are uh, in motion that I think have a lot of promise. One of those is the role of information and how we use the latest information in, in remote sensing and instrumentation to better understand how much is, rain is coming down as precipitation and how much snow and snowpack we get. As we know with a warming atmosphere, the snow line's going up in elevation, which means there's more direct runoff to our reservoirs. So we're using that information to manage our reservoirs more effectively. And we have to look at the flood curve, if you will, and how, we, how much water we can accommodate behind a dam in order to prevent floods. And so information is playing a role. The second is, you know, oftentimes called like green infrastructure or engineering with nature. And that's, you know, how best do we utilize our natural capital, in this case, floodplains, to better accommodate these big events. And so we do that through what we call setback levies. So it's not, you know, abandoning flood protection, but we're putting levies in place where we give the rivers room to, to roam, room to flood, to reconnect with their floodplains. That slows the water down, it spreads it out, and in the process, there are multiple benefits associated with that. So our research has been able to show that not only do we reduce flood risk, but also we're creating habitat for a lot of uh, fish and wildlife. We're trapping sediments, and along with that carbon, we're creating new yeah. opportunities for riparian forests. Uh, all, all, all sounds good, but, uh, but let me ask you this, because when you talk about rivers being allowed to roam, I keep thinking, well, what about people whose homes are near those rivers that might not want them to roam? Does this involve the state buying up land? Well, I think ultimately we have to be very strategic about where we do this multi-benefit floodplain um, restoration. And it's part of a, a larger effort to really identify land uses that are compatible with the resources that we have at hand. Um, given the new Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that's in place, which is necessary because of our depleting groundwater stores, we're starting to rethink the footprint of both agriculture and, and, and some of these small communities and which resources they're relying upon. In so doing, we're recognizing that some of these floodplains, in fact, might be great opportunities to recharge our aquifers as well as move people out of harm's way. So that means, so basically the answer yeah. is that you're going to have to move, if this is to go ahead, you're going to have to try to move people to better places so they don't get in the way of the roaming river. Well, yeah, it, there's it's obviously some nuance and complexity to that. There are a lot of, you know, urban places, places like Elk Grove, south of Sacramento. These are well-established urban centers that are going to need flood protection. There are other places that tend to be, you know, either in agriculture or perhaps pasture. Um, a lot of these we've seen on the news. Um, and, and those are places that, you know, it, it may be worth thinking about um, providing the right level of protection for the right amount of cost, but recognizing that the benefits of having these setback levies um, have value too. All right. And and we haven't really thought about that from a flood protection standpoint in the past. All right. Thank you. Uh, Joshua Veer is a watershed scientist at uh, UC Merced. It, it did sound in the end a like bit. a little bit like moving. People. Yeah. You've got to move people it, out of the way, which yeah. which then brings up another problem about, uh, you know, we've got the housing issues to uh, continue with. So we'd have to figure out where to build other housing to house the people that move out of the way. And it always comes down 
to money. Mm. So Now, uh, later on in the show, Amazon is laying off a lot of workers in another sign that the tech industry might be in trouble. And Prince Harry reportedly makes a stunning accusation against Prince William. We'll get reaction from the U.K. Right now, though, uh, three more votes for House Speaker and three more failures for Kevin McCarthy. Now, that's nine now in total this after a night of negotiating. With us is Rena Shaw, Republican strategist based in Washington. She's familiar with this whole process as a former congressional senior staffer. Rena, thanks for being with us. I'm glad somebody's familiar with this process. Uh, what exactly now is this process? What is it? that that relatively small group of Republicans want from Kevin McCarthy, who has made, as we've mentioned, a number of concessions. What do they want more and what is he not so far willing to give them? Well, what they really seem to want right now is power. And and that is all that can be said, because they haven't got any policy proposals that they're putting forth that they say they need him to agree on. And in fact, this has been going on for about six months. So there's nothing really new. And it's gotten to a point where they're asking for things he can't even give them. As of last night, there was talk of him going from the number of five people needed for a vote of no confidence vote on the House floor to just one. That's a, a pretty stark change. And, and again, this vote of no confidence would allow any member to come to the House floor at any time during the session of Congress and remove the speaker, essentially. So from going from five people needed to just one person is a major concession. Two other things they asked for also were that they wanted more conservatives to be on the powerful rules committee. That's a really big thing as well. And then Thirdly, they said, we want some promise that you'll t- allow for votes on term limits, for example. Uh, and that is also a really big concession for, for McCarthy to make. Going into this morning, McCarthy had said he was willing to do that because he really wants to see this whole thing through. He didn't think he'd even get to day three. Many of us here in Washington thought this would be wrapped up by two or three ballots. But where we sit right now is purely historic. This will now be the longest speaker election since the Civil War, and that surpasses 1923's nine ballots. And speaking of how long it could go, uh, 133 ballots in 1855 was the longest ever, and that was the run-up to the Civil War, and slavery was the big contentious issue. You know, now that we're in the strange strange land where we don't have a script, uh, we don't know what's going on, uh, there are some very strange ideas being floated. One of the strangest I heard, and it's so crazy, it will never happen, but it could work, I think. You tell me if it could is for Hakeem Jeffries to go into uh, McCarthy's office, wherever his office is now, and say, look, you bury the Republicans that hate you. Do not give them committee assignments. We're talking about Lauren Boebert, Matt Gates, uh, even Marjorie Taylor Greene, maybe. And uh, in exchange, uh, we'll give you 212 Democratic votes and Hunter Biden's laptops off the table, impeaching Joe Biden's. In other words, Democrats get stuff they want in exchange for giving him all the Democratic votes. And then all Ed uh, McCarthy would need is four of his Republican friends to continue to vote for him. Now, that's crazy, and that'll never happen, but could that work? Well, it could work, and that's the million-dollar question is, how could this work? Uh, The reality is, is, you know, we're sitting in a moment where this hasn't happened in over 100 years, and it takes one 
of this two sides saying we're going to be the bigger people here. Funny you should mention Hakeem Jeffries. I just received a mass fundraising email from him in which he says, you know, Republicans are incapable of governing. They're putting politics over the American people. But I submit to you that Democrats are doing the same. For all the talk they do about saving democracy, this would be a moment to say, let's get on with doing the work we've been elected to do. And uh, instead, he closed the email by saying, uh, if Democrats stick together in this historic moment, we have an opportunity to show how powerful we are. Those are the words of Hakeem Jeffries in a mass fundraising email just within the past hour. And I think that tells you exactly that Democrats do not want to bargain with these Republicans. They don't want to do any favors to these Republicans. And it's because they don't trust McCarthy at all. And McCarthy had no reason to earn their trust because for months he's been saying he wants to eviscerate them the minute Republicans take the house. And also there's the old adage, you, you don't stand in front of your enemy while he's shooting himself. Indeed. Yeah, that's a good but idea, look. actually. <laughs> Don't get in the way. Irina, <laughs> you know, look, I get it that he, McCarthy, wants desperately, clearly, to be Speaker of the House, that it has been his ambition for quite some time. At what time, though, does this slip into the realm of being pathetic? And are we there? I would say we are absolutely in the moment where this is despicable, this is pathetic, embarrassing chaos is all I can think of right now. Because as a person who loves the institution, I feel there are people who could stand up right now and say, let's stop all this. Instead, they're putting their own interests and actually put they're putting special interests above our interests. Because what this really comes down to is outside money being so tied to who the heir apparent to the speakership was to be. And that was now for many years thought to be Kevin McCarthy. That is why he won't back down. That is why his allies, people who are saying they're his friends and voting for him still, who are Republicans, they are. that's why they won't back down because there's so much t- money and power tied to the speakership. And if it's not him, then who? And now look, nobody wants it to be a far right crazy, you know, nut from the Freedom Caucus. And 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 I say that with all due respect, but what they're doing is holding- <laughs> I love that, with all, with all due respect. I love that, with all due respect. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, they're, they're holding the hostage, they're holding the process hostage, yeah. but they are how we got here. And I think what one- route out is to choose a moderate Republican, somebody to the center of Kevin McCarthy. Uh, But here we are on day three. I'm not hearing much talk of that. Or there could be, you know, a really novel idea. And maybe seven moderate Republicans should threaten to McCarthy and to the House Freedom Caucus that they vote for Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, I realize how ridiculous that sounds, but it's another pathway and a moment where we don't have that many. Yeah, that that is one of the other ideas floated very quickly. Uh, your prediction is Kevin McCarthy ever going to be Speaker of the House? You know, I'd love to say I I, <laughs> I love to say I'm in the politics business, not the betting business. So I certainly don't like making predictions. But my sense is that it will be him. It's just a matter of when. Could he go back to his house in California and speak there? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, that is uh, Rena Shaw, Republican strategist based in Washington D.C. Well, he never said which house he wants to be speaker, of, speaker of your house. Maybe could be anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Can I come over? And still ahead, we are going to see a tidal wave of layoffs in the tech world this year. We will explore that. And Prince Harry, we all know him. Well, we don't know him, but you know, you know, good often. friends. Good yeah. friends. Yeah. Reportedly, he is making. 
a very serious allegation against his brother, Prince William. So we are going to go over to uh, the UK a little bit later and find out what it's all about. Right now, though, doctors are uh, saying that Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin is showing some improvement. He's able to communicate in writing, but he still has a breathing tube inserted shortly after he collapsed on the field in Cincinnati on Monday. Uh, Some people were quick on social media to blame it on the COVID vaccine, saying that this has been happening to vaccinated athletes. With us to clear this up is Dr. Ronald uh, Grifka, Chief Medical Officer and Chief Clinical Quality Officer for University of Michigan Health West. He's a board-certified pediatric cardiologist. Thank you so much for joining us. So right off the bat, just to answer the question, is uh, his collapse due to getting the COVID vaccine? Well, thanks so much for having me, and I look forward to hopefully clearing up some of these questions. But I think it's pretty safe to say unequivocally it was not caused by a COVID vaccination, without question, not the reason. What is it about the COVID vaccine that would lead these anti-vaxxer types to even make that connection between a young man uh, having a uh, obviously an unusual event, uh, a cardiac event at what 24, I think he is, right? Uh, yes. What is the, ba- the basis, even though it's wrong? What's the basis that they're using to connect it in any way to the COVID vaccine? Well, there's a very, very small chance of a person who gets any vaccination. You know, you may have your muscles may uh, ache for a little bit, may be tired. Well, what happens is, you know, the vaccine, as the body is developing a reaction to it, it's kind of making your muscles a little sore, too. Well, the heart's a muscle also, so the heart can be a little bit sore. And a very rare instance, it can be affected by the vaccine for a few days, and then it recovers just as your general arms and legs and muscles do from any vaccine. So I guess we're kind of extrapolating it to uh, to DeMar's case. And you know, we've got a pretty good idea what happened to DeMar. And fortunately, as we see, he is getting better, which is typically the case for this um, blow to the chest called commotio cordis, which is a Latin word for a concussion of the heart. But it certainly has no relationship to the uh, COVID vaccine whatsoever, or any other vaccine. So we know this was not caused by any uh, vaccination. This It's a conspiracy theory that people are suddenly dying all over the world by the millions and millions because of the COVID vaccine. I think we can reasonably say that is not the case at all. But just hypothetically, uh, mm-hmm. maybe not with the COVID vaccine, but with any vaccine, could someone have a sudden heart attack because of a vaccine? Is that is that even physically possible? Well, let me kind of clarify what you're saying in a minute, only because it's a, it's kind of a fine point. But a you know, heart attack is usually from a plugged blood vessel, and part of the heart is damaged severely. Or a car- yeah, um, cardiac arrest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas a cardiac arrest, you know, if you're the vaccine, it could, you know, um, affect the heart for a few days, uh, make it a little bit weaker. But for most people, they wouldn't even notice it. They may be a little tired for a day or two. But, you know, millions and the vast majority of people from the vaccines really develop no side effects and very, very, very rare. If you were to develop a side effect, that would be the heart muscle. But, you know, out of 50, 60 million, one or two people may develop, you know, a slight uh, tiredness of the heart for a few days. And then it recovers just like your arms and legs and do all the other muscles and you're back, back to normal. And now you're vaccinated and safe from you know, a severe illness from the virus. Let me approach this from a slightly different angle, though. Suppose somebody has a known uh, heart condition. Mm -hmm. Does that present a risk in taking whether it's the COVID vaccine or any other or maybe specifically the COVID vaccine? You know, that's a very interesting question, because if you think about it, although there is a very, very, very small risk from any vaccine, 
if a person who has a heart problem, a heart weakness, if they get COVID, if they get influenza, or if they get RSV, and then three viruses going around now, they have a much, much, much higher chance of getting sick, being admitted to the hospital on the breathing machine, and not even surviving. So the risk of the virus is infinitely greater than the minimal risk from the vaccine. All right. Thank you so much for clearing all that up for us. Dr. Ronald Grifka, Chief Medical Officer and Chief Clinical Quality Officer for University of Michigan Health West. Also, uh, by the way, board certified pediatric cardiologist. It was a lot of words in one sitting for me to handle. It was. But I did it well. Yes, you did. Well, no, not really. (laughs) This is KNX In-Depth. He's Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. Well, more trouble in the tech sector. Amazon says it's going to lay off 18,000 workers, and that is a bit bigger number than previously planned. Yeah, originally it was uh, supposed to be about 10,000. Now, this comes after uh, other tech giants like uh, Salesforce announced that it would cut 10% of its workers. Burton Kelso follows the happenings of the tech industry. He's a technology, social media, and cybersecurity expert all wrapped into one. Burton, how you doing? Charles and Rob, I'm doing great. How are you? I love Fine. that. So I, I love that. Wrapped in a one. Yeah, all wrapped in <laughs> You're like one one thing. All this stuff in one person. Um, so Amazon, I mean, they've got a lot of employees, of course. So in the greater scheme of things, 18,000, I, I guess, is, is just a small percentage of its global workforce. But it does say something, doesn't it? And And if it does, what is it saying? Yeah, it definitely is sending a message out. And a great headline I read on the Internet is saying that this whole period that we're going through is basically the great reset after the pandemic boom. That means a lot of tech companies were scrambling to hire people to work for them because during the pandemic, many people were sequestered at home and turned to the Internet in order to conduct business or lead their personal lives. So more people were buying products on Amazon, using Salesforce for uh, CRM, just all internet related. But now in order for these companies to still show a profit, even though there's been a downturn in usage and purchase for a lot of these tech products, they're laying people off to show that their shareholders that we're still a profitable company. All right. So maybe it's about shareholders. But in the case of Amazon specifically, uh, Jeff Bezos, correct me if I'm wrong, had recently announced that he's uh, he's uh, founding a foundation to give away his fortune and to help those who are in need and uh, help the less fortunate. Uh, Aren't the less fortunate the uh, thousands of people that are about to get fired? Absolutely. Could, couldn't he put some of his charity money back into his company and, and keep those jobs open? Or, or would I, that affect the shareholders? I agree completely. But, you know, it's not clear how that would look as far as Amazon as a whole, if we're if we're a profitable company. I mean, if it were me and the, and the think about the billions that Amazon's making, same thing with Facebook. I mean, they could probably keep these people on. But obviously, when you're looking at uh, first quarter figures or last quarter figures, you want to show as much growth as possible because you you want a profitable company. So, I mean, I agree with you 100%. So let's say you're like a really young person and you're just getting out of school uh, and you're looking for your own future. And a few years ago, these tech companies... They all looked like great places, and they were, right, uh, great places to work. And we all know the stories are legendary about, you know, 
cafeterias and and uh, imported food and playrooms and all that other stuff. You know, all these perks that were given to them. Where do those people set their eyes on now? I think they're probably going to look for more tech companies that are offering those types of things because that's been the end thing in our society working for companies that have a four-day work week where you get the um you get the cafeteria that's got the that takes consideration all your dietary concerns but i unfortunately i think this mode of thinking is going to have to change because you know if you want to have a career at a company you're just going to have to settle for what's out there and just not look for that golden that golden opportunity at some of these well-to-do tech companies. I mean, you know, those are few and far between. Unfortunately, in the real world, it doesn't always work like that. So I think anyone coming out of school or anyone that's in the crisis now of being laid off, you've got to come back down to the reality and just say, well, I've got to get a eight to five Monday through Friday job that you know, I may have to put my nose to the grindstone type of situation. But it's not the it's not the tech sector as a whole, because I get the feeling and you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's it's big tech that's that's kind of having some troubles right now. But tech as a whole, as a sector, is still doing OK, because you've got you've got a lot of small tech out there. Uh, some new companies that are up and coming. Right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it is the large tech companies. But again, the large tech companies are the ones that everyone wants to work for because it's kind of a badge of honor. I mean, obviously there are people that want to work for startups, but to say that you work for an Amazon, a Facebook, or a Google, at least last quarter, I mean, that was kind of a badge of honor. But you are absolutely right. The cybersecurity sector is doing great and looking for help. Um, All sorts of tech service companies are doing well because technology overall is something that we all need. Uh, Again, it is the big tech companies that are laying off. But you know what I find interesting, and that is that before all these layoffs, if you go back just a couple of years ago, all the articles that have been written about how smart the people who run these companies are, you know, aren't they aren't they clever geniuses? The, uh, you know, the Musks and the Bezoses of the world. If they were so smart, how come they couldn't figure out that they were uh, overhiring and needed at some at some point to kind of bite the bullet and start laying people off like most other companies have to do? Right. I think with a lot of the tech innovators out there, I think most of them are good at inventing tech um, as opposed to running a company. So I think probably one of the better examples would be, let's look at the Steve Jobs, Wozniak situation at Apple years ago. Jobs was more of the innovator, like this is where I would like to go. Wozniak was more of the the programmer. So you've got the two dynamics with Apple but at the same time, with a lot of tech companies, the ones who started the company aren't the ones that are doing the day-to-day operations. So it's not saying, you know, they're not as smart um, when it comes to tech. It's just they're not the ones that are planning out the day-to-day situation when it comes to how these big tech comp- companies run. All right. Thank you. Burton Kelso, he follows all the happenings in the tech industry. Because it's all in one. Remember, yes, we said exactly. it's all, all in one. Into yeah. one. One thing. One compact package. <laughs> Well, Prince Harry apparently not finished attacking his brother, Prince William, in the media. The Guardian is reporting that Harry writes in his upcoming memoir about being physically attacked by William back in, that was 2019, during an argument in which William criticized Meghan Markle. 
This comes after um, Harry had accused William of screaming at him in early 2020 while Harry and Meghan split from the royal, uh, royal family. Now, back with us uh, from London is renowned publicist and author Mike Borkowski. Thank you so much for joining us. So what do you make of this latest uh, du- dust-up? And does the allegation that uh, Harry is uh, making, does it sound like something that you think happened? Well, look, I mean... <laughs> Any family in any part of the world with with siblings, there is always sibling rivalry. You know, there's sometimes there's tussles and fights. You know, it's it's a normal thing, I think, for warring families who unfortunately maybe have those sort of disputes. I mean, this is all obviously coming from uh, Harry's book that somehow um, was uh, was leaked into bookshops in Spain. Um, the Spanish version, you know, was released um, ahead of time, and people are devouring. Um, so much detail that has been given away to give some sort of indication that Harry seems to have, done, have said some really unfortunate things, not just about his brother, but the royal family. But more worryingly, he's given away his military record, saying that he killed um, 25 um, Taliban while he was serving in Afghanistan. And that that is a big worry, because obviously he puts himself and his family at massive security risk. Um, where only weeks ago he was saying he was on the Netflix documentary had to do everything he could to protect his family. Well, this is far from it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Mark. I mean, I don't know him, and and, and I don't know if if you've met him, but is he, like, not too bright? (laughs) Well, look, I mean, you know, he's obviously got a massive advance for this. Um, This book has um, been released. It needs loads of publicity. It, It is hoped it will be a bestseller. Uh, and to get a bestseller, you've got to put a lot of juicy tidbits in it. And sometimes the, the, those tidbits put people at risk in this occasion. There doesn't seem to be a critical friend. There doesn't seem to be somebody who is trying to make him see sense. He's just determined on this on this mission to tell his story and um, bring bring out, you know, his side of the facts. And that. Um, is causing a huge amount of consternation here because um, it, it, it's, 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 it's pulling into question once again um, the rift um, that is seems so deep between him and his brothers and the rest of the family. What, what do you think some of the motivations of this are? Is, is Harry doing this because uh, does he need the money or does he have a need for publicity now that he's no longer inside the royal family machine? Uh, what's, what's motivating this? Well, it's our self-determination um, that they are setting up a foundation. They, they're outside royal family now. Therefore, being outside of royal family, they've got to generate a huge amount of money to live in the style of being unaccustomed. Um, the recent Netflix um, series, have people watch that, and, you know, they, they live in a certain sense of luxury that many people can't afford. Um, and you need publicity to sell books um, to make people aware it's out there. Um, so it's a combination of things. And, of course, he keeps on going on about this self-determination to place his side of the story. He feels beaten up by the royal family. Um, he feels beaten up in the way that they have treated his wife. Um, it's, it's, it's all about them. And I think a lot of people are getting quite weary about it. You get the sense that certainly people are wary about it in the UK, but you get a sense, too, in America that people just hear this whining. And although he and his wife clearly want to use their influence for good for many issues that affect younger people um the way they're going about it with such negativity is 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 is, is causing um a little an unease about whether or not the royal family are 
facing a huge uh, public relations nightmare and um, taking away the soft power that they have so effectively used over generations. I think probably the saddest thing about this whole uh, episode, Mark, is that, that for people who remember or who have watched more recently the old footage of when the two brothers were... Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, walking together uh, at their mother's uh, Princess Di's uh, funeral to see how that has evolved and actually has broken down that bond, that relationship over the decades. It, I, it, you know, taking apart and putting aside the issues of, of publishing and money and fame and all this stuff, it's pretty sad, isn't it? You know, the, the poor guy is wounded. He he lost his mother at a, at a very important time in his life. Um, he you, you you comment on that um, that issue um, of them walking behind the coffin. You know, at such a young age, um, he's wounded and he's weaponizing that wound. And he sees the way that his mother was treated, and he sees that reflected in the way that Megan is being treated. But I, I think that you know he's. You know, sometimes that people have said it's a curse to be a member of the royal family. You know, it is a difficult, is a difficult position. You're under huge scrutiny. Um, but clearly, this 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 guy is has got issues, and you know, he talks about seeing therapists and whatever. Um, but he was thrust into so much anguish, you know, at such a young age. Of course, that's affected him, and of course. Um, you look at him and you have a huge amount of sympathy um, for somebody who's, who's who's had such a really such a touch, tough emotional life. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, that is uh, Mark Borkowski, a renowned publicist and an author. And uh, that's going to do it for uh, today's connection. That, by the way, uh, just looking now, yeah. uh, uh, McCarthy has been nominated again uh, to be the Speaker of the House for the 10th now ballot after suffering defeat in the ninth. Well, you know what they say, if at first you don't succeed, just keep on trying until Try, 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 try again. Until it becomes parody. Right. And we will try again tomorrow.